This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, by golly. Here is Coach Hogg in the Coach Hogg locker room back again with you folks. Um, thank you so much for uh, being loyal fans of the show while I was gone. I hope you all uh, are uh, satisfied with the product. Great guy, Tim Martin, really did a great job and um, feel very confident with him taking a hold of the Ward Scott Files and, and running with it. We uh, want to thank you, therefore, for also the concerns I might have seen out on Facebook for me. I'm still among the live, and uh, we'll keep that going as long as we can. Uh, with the help of all the great medical people who look look after people who um, who get old, you know, and have to uh, give their heart a little bit of a boost. So that's where we are with that. The uh, show, of course, is taking place in the Mellon Law Studio inside the Manly Warthog Man Cave here in the tiny woods of north central Florida and brought to you and protected by Prime Prevention. And they protect us 24-7, 365 and sponsored by all the great sponsors whom you see scrolling by the screen and all of those you donate once in a while to us to keep us uh, ahead above water. Uh, we appreciate that. We've got a files text line comes up here that I don't use, and we're trying to figure out what to do with that. We'll probably take that down. If you try to text me on that line, I don't see it, and uh, I never have responded to it, and I don't think many people use it. Meanwhile, it's one of those things I've been paying for, if you know what I mean. Um, so uh, hopefully you had a good Easter, and hopefully everybody's well in your family and your friends. So uh, appreciate you. We did have – I just want to give a shout-out to you, about two or three guys here who who came up. I don't do this um, analysis. Apparently um, Facebook does it, and um, they say from the week of April 2 to April 8th, there were three people who kind of watched most of all and they gave points to them. And I don't know what the points mean and I don't know how they give them, but the number one point getter was Michael Lucas. So I'll give a shout out to Michael Lucas. Um, number two was Larry Nagel. And number three was all uh, was Jody Davis. So there's a lot of other people, but for some reason, um, the people who run the numbers and all that business uh, take a look at who were the three who were tuned in the most. So I'll give you a big shout out on that. The um, uh, always appreciated and uh, um, uh, noticed by at least the algorithms, I guess. I watched with interest the algorithm show with um, Michael Shaw. Probably had to follow up on that at some point. But since this is Coach Hogg's locker room every Monday, there's a lot going on in the sports world that, you know, I could report. I could report who won the, the golf and all that and, uh, you know, how we're doing. But the most interesting battle that's going on right now in the sports world is over sex. And um, 
I guess there's no other way to say it than that. It's um, it is what it is, and it's kind of culminated in the fact that um, advertisers have uh, begun to advertise. I don't know exactly what the right word is. I guess transgenders uh, with women clothing and that kind of business. Well, let's talk about advertising in the first place. Advertising has no morality. It's not out to take a moral stand. It's uh, not going to distinguish uh, religious issues. It's all financial. And it's all about gullibility and really making a, pulling a rabbit out of a hat where there's no rabbit. Um, I'm reminded of the first time that it was really brought out in an essay called Cousin Lucius. Cousin Lucius is a is an essay that appears in I'll Take My Stand. I'll Take My Stand was a collection of essays by Southern Renaissance writers, really highlighting or pointing out, if you will, some of the issues that would be involved with, um, um, of course, um, having an industrial world run the natural world, an industrial world take place and precedent over the natural world. And, you know, in Cousin Lucius, there's a little story that illustrates it. Now, Cousin Lucius was from Georgia, and he grew peaches. And he grew peaches in the way that you might still occasionally see peaches sold by the side of the road by a local farmer, and the peaches are fresh, and they come right off the tree behind him in the orchard, which you can see. And so that's the way peaches were sold, basically, consumed and grown and purpose for which, before the Industrial Revolution, and of course the North won that battle, and we supplanted the natural order of things with the industrial world, and there we are. Well, along came a corporation and pointed out to Cousin Lucius that they could buy all his peaches from him. He didn't have to sit by the side of the road and sell peaches and then go up the road and get more peaches and come back. they just buy all his peaches. And so, of course, Cousin Lucius said, fine, never going to take those peaches up to Boston, from Georgia up to Boston, Solomon, Boston. Well, fast forward the story, and that happened, and the peaches got the shipping right regularly and right consistently, and it was a good financial deal for Cousin Lucius. But he was curious about what happened to the peaches. And so he got to checking into it, and sure enough, found the peaches in a, a supermarket, so to speak, in Boston. And there were peaches there that were labeled one thing and peaches labeled as another thing, but they were the same thing. And what he realized is that the corporation had developed an artificial difference between the peaches, which came from the same orchard and were the same peach, in order to promote competition, to promote branding, 
thereby, of course, create yet another financial need. You have to employ somebody to make the uh, brand and all that business. So they did that. And he always had a lot of trouble with that. I mean, this is the same peach. Why are they presenting it as two different peaches? It's really not two different peaches. Well, they're doing it to brand it and to create advertising and to create a market. The ethics of whether or not they're being, quote unquote, genuine about the definition of the peach is left for somebody else to determine. So this has all become a, a real profession, advertising. You can major in it. You can got work in it. And you almost can't work without it. I mean, we hate, we can't get by without advertisers. But we try to prick advertisers that they are what they say they are. We're not creating two different peaches for the purpose of an artificial competition. So along comes an issue with corporate advertising now. And it's really upset women. Women. Binary women. And we'll get into the definition of that in a little bit. Riley Gaines, who is a University of Kentucky swimmer, great swimmer, who had to compete against Leah Thomas, who was a University of Pennsylvania swimmer and a biological male who identified as a transgender female and therefore competed against a biological female, Riley Gaines. And she didn't think that was fair. She didn't think that was fair at all. And she's been going around really educating people about it. You know, hello. I mean, I don't mind swimming against other women. But you know, this person, Leah Thomas, is really a man. Well, so be it. Really, come on. Get over it. It's a transgender female. So, she was invited last week in San Francisco by a chapter of Turning Point USA to talk about her fight against biological male athletes competing in women's sports. Now, she's a 12-time All-American swimmer. But she was drowned out, and we're going to show that to you in just a moment. She was drowned out by a group of pro-transgender protesters who wouldn't shut up, who became increasingly loud, first outside the room she was in, and then eventually they busted into the room 
where she was speaking and it terrified her. The police did not have any action plan to deal with this. She thought she was invited and a presentation would be very civil and respectful. But it wasn't. She was punched. She was hit. She was shoved. They couldn't get out of the room. Protesters flooded the halls. She barricaded herself in another classroom for three hours. And the campus cops really weren't prepared for this. Let's see if we can show that production. Can we please? Gaines was there to talk about her opposition to transgender athletes in women's sports. She posted this video. It shows her moving quickly while surrounded by campus security. It does not, however, appear to show anyone striking her. Natasha Chen has more on the incident. Now, this happened Thursday evening, and she said that uh, there... Now, that's all, that's all for CNN presentation, okay? And you can see that that's been kind of cleaned up. Didn't show her striking anybody. I think if production has a little time and find it on another network, perhaps Fox, we'll get a complete picture. But that was a kind of a um, censored version of what happened there that we pulled that one off of. Just to show you that these different networks will present proofs differently according to their editorial policy, of course. I think you're familiar with that by now. So this is setting the stage for, and if you find another one, uh, production, let me know, sir, please. Um, this is setting the stage for uh, a whole bunch of things that are coming forth. Nike also now has hired a controversial transgender activist, Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney is a, how should we say it? He works as a comedian, comedian, or however you, I don't know what he would be, comedian, comedian. Um, you know, TikTok gadfly, all that business. And he's now selling sports bras for Nike. And of course, Riley Gaines thinks that's a mockery of women. And um, she says the message that Nike is sending to all the girls and women is that men can do everything better. And, of course, it's tipped the teeter-totter, if you will, and has totally muddled what women's sports were all about. Ironically, right at a moment, when women's basketball is, man, is it ascending? Is it dynamic? Is it fascinating? So there's a lot of things going on here that are muddying the water. 
Ronnie Gaines says that selling products by trans, with gender erases women. These transgenders take the place of women. She's complaining that there are plenty of women, phenomenal athletes. They don't get paid as much. They don't get used for advertising as much. And she's out protesting it and being received the way she's being received in the CNN version of what we just showed you. We find another one, another version of production. You can talk to me on here. Um, so this Nike deal is not the only one. Bud Light has also used now transgender. And they say, along with Nike, that what they want to do as a corporation, now remember Cousin Lucius, is to, quote, be kind and be inclusive in kind. So they are, of course, feigning some sort of moral high ground. They have bought in completely to the woke ideology and the women, of course, with Riley Gaines being a spokesperson, spokeswoman, thinks that it is a tremendous insult to women, ironically, right when women are becoming highly marketable as women. So the equality inclusivity, if you will, is now, quote unquote, a corporate value, as the car dealers say. Now, why is this happening? Did a little research on this. And I share with you what I discovered. This is out of uh, Gateway Pundit. Now, about a year ago, so begins this article, no one in America had ever heard of Dylan Mulvaney. Okay? Dylan Mulvaney is a biological male pretending to be a female. I suppose as long as that was in the comedic world, it was probably all right. But now that it's over here in the athletic world, it's called all this attention to itself. So the analysis by the, the New York Post is that there's an organization called the Human Rights Campaign. Are you ready for this? The Human Rights Campaign. It is, it functions, the Post says, like an LGBTQ mafia. It gives a social credit score to force companies like Nike and Anheuser-Busch 
to advance their agenda, their human rights agenda. Now, the human rights campaign is financed by hedge funds like BlackRock and Vanguard who are bankrolling the woke agenda. And these hedge fund organizations threaten to pull their funds from Nike, Anheuser-Busch, and other major companies if the companies don't advance this agenda, according to the Post. So what this means, back to Cousin Lucius inventing two different peaches when they actually were the same peach, major corporations are now in the position where they lose more money by not embracing the woke left than they do from angering conservatives. Now, here goes the labeling. Supposedly, according to the press, the way they present these stories, the only one against the woke agenda are conservatives. Republicans. No mention of sensible Democrats, which I'm convinced there still are some. So now they're handing out lucrative deals to these fringe celebrities of whom Dylan Mulvaney is no doubt one, because if they don't, they risk failing to get something called the social credit score. The social credit score is called the Corporate Equality Index, the CEI. Now, this score is overseen by the Human Rights Campaign, which is the largest LGBTQWXYZ political lobbying group in the world. Now, where did the Human Rights Campaign get its money from? Well, <clears throat> two guesses. First one doesn't count. The George Soros Open Society Foundation, which issues report cards for America's corporations, awarding or subtracting points for how well companies adhere to what it calls its rating criteria. Now, there are five major rating criterias. Workforce protections, inclusive benefits, 
supporting an inclusive culture, corporate social responsibility, and responsible citizenship. Now, let me just give you how that score here. Workforce protection. There are five points possible. No discrimination for employment for sexual orientation or gender equity. Inclusive benefits, 50 points possible. Criteria here includes health care for same-sex couples. Three, supporting an inclusive culture. 25 points possible here. That means gender-neutral dress codes and trans-inclusive restrooms. Or corporate social responsibility. (coughs) 20 points possible. Marketing or advertising to LGBTQ customers which of course here includes Nike and Bud Light. Five, responsible citizenship, 25 points deducted, 25 points deducted if a company gives money to organizations whose primary mission is against LGBTQ equality which primarily ends up targeting Christian groups. Now, this is all going to tie together, believe it or not, (coughs) with the Tennessee legislature before it's over, before I'm over with this presentation. So, HRC sends representatives to corporations every year telling them what kind of stuff they have to make visible at the company and threatening them with this score seat. That's the story behind the story. So we got Riley Gaines I don't know if we ever found another presentation. Um, Taking on that whole organization, is she not? It's an amazing, an amazing story. Let's take a break at the bottom of the hour, and I get back, I'll go into the binary definition of sex with a biologist. Be right back on the Word Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on 
on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report here by Yali, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Great sponsors. Uh, Wendy Lewis says she's 29 years old. God bless her. Um, you won't believe this. But here at Windy Hill Farm in the Manly Man Cave, we had a fire in a fireplace yesterday. Yeah, on Easter Sunday. Huh? Delightful. Gray, overcast, kind of misty. Who'd have thunk it? But right now it's 58 degrees here, going up only to 72. And you know, somewhere in the country, somebody's getting it. There's heavy localized rain in the Gulf Coast. We may get some, and I hope we do. We really need it. Um, we're um, also looking at perhaps after that, the temperatures to soar. I guess it's all climate change. What else can you say? Uh, can we control it? Of course, we can't control it. So we've got uh, that to deal with, and it's fluctuating in its typical manner as it would do so with or without man. Huh? Well, 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 thank you for hanging with the Ward Scott Files while I was gone. And thanks, Tim Martin, who did a great job. I watched it quite frequently when I could. And um, I think Tim did a great job. The discussion right now is really a continuation of Coach Hall's locker room because Sports have become so politicized because of the advertising. You know, and the advertising has become so 
Well, typical. I mean, as I said, with Cousin Lucius, advertising is not moral. Advertising is not all about ethics. It's all about, really, convincing you to buy something you probably don't need. I remember there used to be an ad on television called Inside This Head is a Higher Level of Pain Relief. And it was an Addison ad, as I remember it. And they did all sorts of neat things. They had a man, middle-aged man, older man, in a white lab coat with wire rim glasses and an accent that you could only mistake for German, with a pointer pointing at a head that you could look into that had been opened up half of a head. And then it showed pain relief rising like water poured into the head. In the head as the head consumed anison. Well, that's BS. And he pointed the head and the line in the head. And I think, by golly, they finally took that off the air. Just wasn't true. Your head doesn't fill up with pain relief. But why does Nike and Bud Light, who are in the news right now, because they're like chameleons. They'll adopt any color that they're lying on. A green leaf, it's a green chameleon. If it's a brown leaf, brown chameleon. Don't ask it to be what it isn't. So the story today in Coach Hall's locker room is really the story behind the story. How did they come to be on that particular leaf? Now, what is so bad about the transgender movement? Let's ask that question. Let's be fair and objective and because I, I have friends, I have friends who have this problem in their family. I mean, they consider it a problem, as an issue, something they've got to deal with. I know one great family that had a male, binary male, that just never, he never seemed quite right. Well, he's now become a woman. But has he really? Let's investigate that. Now, this Supreme Court Justice Brown, this justice of color, was asked during her confirmation hearings last year to define the word woman. Do you recall this? Colin Wright is writing about this. He's a biologist, so I'm going to go through his notes with you. You recall this woman doing this? And her answer was, I'm not a biologist.
You're, why can't you answer the question, woman? You know, here they're climbing all over Clarence Thomas or taking some trips which were perfectly legal. And they let her get by with this crap. And you've got Chase Strangio of the American Civil Liberties Union, which is really, therefore, the American Civil Liars Union. Claiming that binary concept of sex is an invention. Binary concept of sex is an invention. Well, well, well. That's your liar's union. Okay? Non-binary people, according to the liars, are those who identify as neither male nor female. I'm sorry, liars, and Supreme Court Justice, abolitionist writes, sex, hear this, is binary, okay? And what do we mean by that statement, sex is binary? What that means is that there are only two sexes. This is true according to the biologist, Colin Wright, according to my doctor friends, throughout the entire plant and animal kingdom. Hello! An organism's sex is defined by either sperm or ova, which defines their function in producing. Males, in case you don't know it, produce sperm. Females, ova. There is no third type. There are only two sexes. Now, what does that leave? That leaves confusion and chaos and puts a square in the middle of the gender ideology battle. Those gender ideologies, the biologist writes, falsely claim the existence of intersex conditions and want to argue that therefore male and female are arbitrary terms and meaningless. There are, the biologist writes, 
borderline cases where there might be anatomical confusion, but no binary confusion. So really, look down and see what you've got. Is basically where you start. There are no, there's no more confusion between the sexes, the biologist writes, than there is between the existence of dawn and dusk, night and day. The vast majority of people. Their sex is obvious without having to plunge into the binary world. But gender ideology, which this human rights society has beat up Nike and Bud Light with, seeks to portray sex as so complex and so multivariable that it's just simply out of date to classify male, female according to their binary definition. You really ought to classify them, so goes the argument for the ideology, gender ideology crowd. You really ought to classify them according to their gender identity. And if you do that, you can't bar a binary male from female sports if the binary male identifies with the female gender. Identifies. Who doesn't identify as a male with a female? Huh? We use the word differently, don't we? So, ergo, you can't ban men from wisdom's prisons. Huh? You can't separate people according to biological sex, not as long as they identify as a female. So transgender people are not sexually ambiguous at all, but they merely identify as something other than their biological sex. Now, are some anatomical distinctions more or less obvious in some people? Yeah, but not binary. There are rare, difficult cases that do exist, the biologist says, but 
certainly the ideology is not addressing that. The biological differences would have to be addressed scientifically. Trans women, according to Colin Wright, are unambiguously male. Any transgender policy designed to protect female spaces needs to have recorded the binary definition of the person at birth, not that which has been assigned to the person. What you identify with alone is irrelevant to the scientific truth. Well, well, well. As my grandmother used to say, what a long tail our cat has. That's a very, very long story. Now, I want to kind of focus for a minute on Angel Reese and Jill Biden. You know, ladies' college basketball Now, there might be some masculine-behaving women, but they are binary women. Don't you think? And there's some very, very women-women. Don't you think? And I'm not too sure that in basketball, A binary male identifying as a female, identifying, would be able to compete with these binary women playing this lady get basketball. So what irked Angel Reese was that LSU beat Iowa. And to complicate it, wouldn't you know it? The title of today's show is The Joker in the Deck. What is the joker in the deck? It is the race card. If all else fails, play the race card. It will screw up everything. I would suggest it's even screwing up the nation to the extent that we're becoming We're losing our leadership role in the world. All this country ever argues about, in one form or another, is the race card. That's all it ever talks about. This transgender thing is a manifestation of the race card. The Tennessee legislature thing is a race card. 
how in the world did they take a shooting by a confused, sexually confused person and turn it into the race card on the Tennessee legislature floor and drag that stupid Kamala Harris over there to fan the flames. Take the whole issue and put it in the crapper. And this Jill Biden, the old school teacher, I guess, she wanted to invite the losers to the White House, Iowa, along with the winners, LSU, and in so doing, opened up the race card because Iowa's primarily white. Caitlin Clark is white. Angel Reese is the hood. She says she's the hood. Crazy. And just flood the conversation immediately with, once again, the race card. LS team, US team, LSU's team, predominantly black. I was largely white. Now, the blacks identify with the Democrat Party. So when the Democrat Party first lady invites the whites to go with the blacks, and the whites were the losers, the blacks go crazy and say, well, just go to Obama. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Meanwhile, one of the good things that comes out of this, as Angel Reese says, look, I really don't care if it's a white or black woman in the basketball game. It's a woman. It's a woman. And what she means by that is the women basketball players don't get near the deal. As Riley Gaines is saying, don't get near the deal. The transgender men get more advertising money than the Binary women, black or white. That didn't go over well. That didn't go over well at all. Meanwhile, meanwhile, college football. This is all according to USA Today Network that has done some research on what these colleges 
are spending now to buy their players. Football, just football. Football, binary males. Okay? I'm going to go through this with you because it's something that is amazing, really. Starting with the University of Florida for 2023, according to this research by USA Today, it might be inaccurate because they try to hide these numbers. Florida holds the 10th best class nationally for 2024 and has spent $1.6 million recruiting. That doesn't take into account a college education. Oregon. Oregon. Now, this is they recruit in 2023. Okay. 247 Sports has been looking at this name, image, likeness deal. That's what this is about. Being paid to play. Oregon has spent $1.8 million. Michigan. Michigan has spent $2.2 million. It went from $1.4 million. And it's now the Big Ten's biggest spender. Alabama. And Saban's on record as saying he can't stand this. But he has to do it. million. And we play them, or they're in our league, or SEC, so you can see what's happening. Texas. It's coming into the SEC. It has spent 2.4 million. They signed Arch Manning. And they invested a lot in that. Texas spent 280000 just trying to get Manning's attention. Oklahoma Sooners. million. They managed several late flips. They've got the nation's sixth best class. Tennessee is the nation's fourth biggest spender. It's ranked number three in SEC. They had 11 win season. 
they have spent $2.9 million. Texas A&M, $3 million. $3 million. Clemson has two national championships, a whole boatload of double-digit win seasons, and he has spent $3.2 million. Good old Georgia. Our nemesis. Has spent $4.5 million on recruiting. Last year at this time, they spent just under $6.3 million for all the school's athletic programs. They spent 515000 on basketball, men's, 326000 on women's. And they don't have any qualms about doing it. That is the name of the game now. Well, thank you very much for hanging with the Ward Scott Files last week, and thanks to Tim Martin. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our donors and um, thanks to our um, great fans. And I mentioned some of them at the beginning of the hour. The top ones being Michael Lucas, Larry Nagel, and Jody Davis, according to numbers that were provided me unsolicited by, I guess it's, I don't know who does it, Facebook maybe. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.